Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello and welcome to Two Pints of Maggots and a Packet of Hooks, the fishing podcast. And what an extra special show we have for you for episode two of series three. As always, we'll be looking into the tackle shed and seeing if there are any items of tackle that have caught our interest, but also looking through the archives and comparing tackle of yesteryear to today's offerings. Um, of course, we will be looking into the press pack, seeing if anything has been interesting in the media, whether that be weekly or monthlies, and of course, social media. But the big scoop, if we want to call it that, is a celebrity special in the big chat. We've got Mr. Robson Green. And did you know that he's actually starred in 15 different series of various angling shows? It was a great chat. Not only does he talk about his backstory as to how he started his journey in angling, a little bit about his acting career and his upcoming projects, but also some great stories from those 15 series that he has starred in in the past. So without further ado, let's begin with the press pack. Well, kicking off then with Angling Times, um, page four, plans for the Boddington of the North revealed. Essentially, what this is saying is there's uh, three waters by Sheffield called Hart Hill Reservoir, and the Canals and Rivers Trust, who have, I guess, rejuvenated places like Boddington, Drayton Reservoir, Clattercote, these places that become big match uh, weight venues, but also, you know, accessible to all. Lots of big silvers in, in Boddington that thrive off neglect, I guess. Um, they're going to try and replicate this for a venue in the north, which is Hart Hill Reservoir. So that's one for, for potential uh, big match weight venue. But also, of course, uh, these are fantastic pleasure angler waters. Also, um, there's another one which I found quite interesting. Uh, page six, which says, what future for the iconic Wensum? I remember as a kid watching, you know, videos of John Wilson and, and the like fishing down there at the Wensum around Norwich. It was always big chub and roach and there was even one or two barbel back in the day. But it seems to have, you know, fell off the radar in terms of um, major rivers or certainly angling venues in the UK. And there's a couple of reasons. There's a bit of habitat deterioration, abstraction and low flows, predators, um, invasive species. So these are the three main issues that have been cited as, as an issue for the Wensum. And I mentioned this because it could happen to any of our local venues, you know, um, as healthy as a lot of our rivers are now, even though there are still numerous challenges with these big water companies, you know, it just goes to show that, that the mighty can fall. So not to rest on our laurels. And I thought that was one worth um, pointing out. 
In terms of catches, well, lots of big pike, lots of big perch. It's that time of year. These fish are now pretty much as fat as they can be, ready to spawn probably uh, next month. Um, so some real weighty to, uh, fish coming out. It's a four pound, four ounce perch. There is a fantastic pike of 29 pound, two ounce. Um, there's the odd barbel and whatnot as well. And of course, Xander, let's not forget uh, one from the Trent there, 14 pound, five ounce. So, you know, if you are into your predator fishing, now is the time that they're absolutely on the feed. And of course, if you are a river angler, let's not forget, we've got a mere five weeks or so of the season left. I did spot a real nice brace of fish as well uh, by a chap called Jimmy Salis. He's had a six pound, six ounce chub and a 14 pound, four, uh, sorry, 14 pound, six ounce barbel in the same session on the Warwickshire Avon. So there are still those great big clonking fish to target um, in these last few weeks of the season. That is for sure. Also, what I found quite an interesting article to read on page 34 of the Times is that it's entitled, What Can Carp Anglers Learn From Match Fishing? You can flip that around as well. You know, we've uh, match anglers have learned a hell of a lot from carp anglers. But this is Ben Hag, um, who's sponsored by Guru. And he's talking about how he flips his time between targeting specimen-sized carp and, and match-sized carp, if you like. And it talks about the crossover um, Location is obviously a massive thing, uh, accuracy, and, and of course, you've got to be onto your baits as well. So, well worth a read for those anglers that, that you know, if you're liking experimenting between the crossover, the two denominations, if you like, there's a hell of a lot to be learned from each part. Also, worth mentioning on page 48 of Angling Times is River Maestro Hadrian Whittle, where he's targeting perch on his favoured river Y. And it's worth pointing him out because of not only his, his success on that river, um, the tactics is, is obviously a great little read as well, but he's also in Improve Your Course Fishing this month, targeting the same river with a slightly different approach where he's looking at roach and chub. Now, this river Y is. <laughs> This, this winter, some of the weights have been absolutely phenomenal. And if you've not been uh, having a look through the angling media, weights regularly top in towards a hundred pound of roach and chub around the Hereford area, which is just phenomenal sport. Um, there's specific pegs that are well known to throw up huge weights um, for uh, the, the series of matches that have taken place. But in general, you know, these backup weights are 20, 30, 40 pound. And that sort of sport just cannot be um, matched really we talk about the river trent in this area where i am being very consistent but in terms of silverfish sport i don't think weights are anything near like that um, that can be achieved from the river y so yeah check out hadrian's articles in angling times and improve your course fishing and again it just goes back to what i say there's five or six weeks of this river season left and there's plenty more sport to be caught before we dive into the monthlies social media wise uh, we can build on something that we discussed on the last uh, episode when we spoke about Andy May, an angling celebrity, if you like, with his uh, Winning Ways channel with Jamie Hughes and, and, and all the rest of it. So when he changed sponsor, there was a lot of action on, on the various social media pages as where's he going to be going? Is he going to be joining uh, Jamie at, at Matrix? Is it going to be somebody else? Well, of course, we've we've probably seen, if you're an avid match angler, that um, his sponsorship, his consultancy has changed over now to Preston Innovations. And what a scoop that must be for Rather Outdoors. That's the company that owns Fox International and Preston Innovations. So essentially what they've now got is 
Jamie Hughes, Andy May, representing two different brands, absolutely, but under the same banner of the same company. Rather Outdoors being an American firm that um, acquired both the businesses over recent times. Uh, and of course, what that means is they will both use Sonia Bates, which is part of Press Innovations, underneath the same umbrella. So it's a real scoop for um, the owners of those two brands. And of course, it will embed even further um, those that are loyal towards these different brands as well. So that was quite interesting. Loads of chitter chatter on the social media as to where Andy May would wind up. Well, we all know now. Before I dive into the monthlies, I'm going to cast our eyes back uh, to yesteryear. And the magazine that I've chosen for this month's news piece is uh, Match Angling Plus, which I spoke about last month, February 2002. So exactly 20 years ago. And their news section at the time was called Banknotes. It's the talk of match fishing. And the opening um, article, the title of it, and it builds on what I've just said about the River Y. Can rivers be great match venues again? And I'll read you the monologue at the start here where it says there was a time when matches on the country's big rivers like the Thames, Seven, Trent and Welland would attract up to a thousand anglers in open matches. But with the recent decline in sport, match attendances have dwindled to as little as 30 in some cases. The Y Championship is a prize, prime example. Colin Harvey scoops his third win in the competition with a massive £113 of chub, leaving anglers with £25 not winning a penny. So <laughs> that links perfectly into what I've just been explaining is that cast now forward 20 years. No, those big thousand pegger events, are, I think, are certainly a thing of the past. But consistent weights, even back then, £100 River Y, consistent all this winter. It talks here about the River Ouse, another venue that's seen numerous £30 nets of chub and roach. So what it's saying then is that perhaps rivers were starting to have a bit of a renaissance um, around 20 years ago. And has it moved on much from them? Probably not in the the terminology of this article, but we've got river fest since then. We've got attendances are certainly up. I know on my uh, Newark stretches of the River Trent to me on a Thursday open in the summer, they'll be attracting 60, 70 anglers. So certainly it's not, um, can rivers be great match venues again? Of course they can and they are, but perhaps not to those thousand peggers, which uh, the anglers of yesteryear may well remember. Let's have a delve then into the monthly magazines where our good friend uh, Nick Speed features in both in Preview Course Fishing Magazine and Match Fishing Magazine, both on Wordsborough Reservoir as well, but two very different approaches uh, and two very different days by, uh, by the looks of it as well. But I'm not going to focus too much on... Um, working my way through the magazines i've picked out maybe one standout article for each one uh, jumping into improve your course fishing and it's an article it's kieran marsden and he's talking about dobbing now when i read this it's one of those where you think why haven't i tried that or why haven't i um, given it a whirl if you like and essentially it's dobbing but with feeding which you don't necessarily put the two hand in hand the whole idea of dobbing is to you know, attract the attention of the fish, whether it be with, you know, corn skin, a couple of dead maggots, bread tends to be the main one. But this is, he's creating a feeding zone, feeding a couple of maggots every few minutes. And then he's dobbing around this feeding zone. Makes absolute sense. Uh, and he talks you through the tactics on that. So I really liked that article in Improve Your Course Fishing. 
Um, a couple of good stuff in there for the predator anglers as well. Points out, you know, some cracking venues um, and some tactics. So all in all, a good one. Um, covers everything. Preview course fishing as, as it always does. Some waggler fishing, river stuff, um, catching roach close in on a commercial. Yeah, cracking. Uh, match fishing then. The one I wanted to focus on. But the one that caught my eye. Let me find it. Well, there were two actually, I was torn between the two articles. One good one by Tom Scully, where he sort of changed his approach, I guess, for commercial skimmer bream fishing. But the one, yes, it was Dead Ship's usual uh, monthly piece that he, he tends to do. And it's, it says carp in the cold. And the reason why this stood out is because as I look through the match reports and match results, the whole of this winter, there's been one venue that stood out like a sore thumb, and it's Todd Bermana um, down in Dorset. Well, Again, it's a bit of a strange one, this, because the article, the, 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 the tactics, absolutely spot on for, for a carping session in winter. It's just I wouldn't expect to have the net of fish that he has at the end as well, because this is such a prolific venue. Um, you know, he's catching great big clunkers up to sort of eight, nine pound. He's probably got, I don't know, I don't know what his estimate of, a, of his day's fishing is. He's probably got about... 50 odd pound and he's two landing nets there but have a read of that one because he talks about fishing meat and i never ever fish meat in winter i always led to believe that the because of the oils it would congeal within itself and and it wouldn't be worth using but certainly works for des on todd bamana but again the caveat being this is an incredibly prolific water and it has been all winter and uh, those tactics wouldn't necessarily work on your local venue but still very very interesting so those were the two key articles uh, in this month's magazine that stood out rather than me working my way through but jumping back to the archives going back to the magazine that we we mentioned before february 2002 the one article in this angling plus magazine that caught my eye was our friend sean ashby who was our special guest on episode one of series three and it's keep catching with squats and it says the monologue in the winter months squats can be one of the only baits to produce a good net of fish which is why england international sean ashby shows you how uh, to fish his squat secrets and that got me thinking i cannot remember the last time that i bought any squats whatsoever on a canal probably about 1998 <laughs> um I, I genuinely can't think last time i, I bought any squat i I'm not sure where you can buy them around in this area. So really interesting. And it's a bit of food for thought, really, as to why I've perhaps not give them a go on the river that I've been fishing throughout this winter when fishing's been particularly tough. And, uh, yeah, um, maybe squat fishing's not as in vogue as it used to be. So uh, tactics may have changed in 20 years, but uh, maybe some things have been forgotten as well. So that's it now for the press pack Let's dive straight into the big chat with Robson Green. Teddy Fisher Baits specialise in the manufacture of fishing ground bait and additives. We combine a 40-year-old proven fish catching recipe and the experience of our skilled team. Fishing is an adventure and here at Teddy Fisher we strive to make that adventure a success. Go to www.teddyfisher.co.uk to see our full range of baits. Hi and welcome to The Big Chat. We have an extra special edition for episode two. We have got singer, 
actor and all-round angler, Mr. Robson Green. How are you, sir? I'm fine. Thanks for the build-up, Dave. I apologise now to everyone for the anti-climax. <laughs> you can give us that fiver later on. Not a problem <laughs> at all. <laughs> now, listen, a, bit, a big thank you for joining me. I know you're a busy, busy man. No worries. But we have it's that shared interest with all our listeners, and that is fishing. Yeah. Now, when I went through doing my little bit of research, and it was a little bit, by the way. Don't worry. I've got Extreme Fishing 4 Series, Ultimate Catch, Grand Slam Fishing, Coastal Fishing. The list goes on and on and on. I mean, (laughs) isn't it a dream job? Well, yeah, living the dream, going to places that most professional anglers only dream of. Can you imagine that phone call? And saying to my ex-wife, when I was on the phone for an hour with my agent, who was saying, you've had an offer to travel all over the world and go fishing. When my wife said, my ex-wife said, who was that on the phone? I just went, wrong number. You don't want to know. <laughs> you off. don't want to know. Yeah. So, I mean, all in all, and, and still today, I, I carry on doing fishing shows. And um, I, I must start this whole kind of conversation off. In no way am I any kind of expert I, I, I really feel a bit of a fraud sometimes when people want to talk to me about um, certain aspects of fishing, which I know very little about. The one thing I do know is I love fishing. Yeah. It is a passion. It is everything in my life and is an incredible necessity in my life. Saying fishing is a hobby, and I'm sure you agree, is like saying brain surgery is a, just a job. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Absolutely. It's, it's like um, it's I'm. I think it was John Gierak said, the the lovely writer, John Gierak said, you know, the solution to most of our problems, be they relationships, work, money, uh, is to go fishing. And the bigger the problem, the longer the fishing trip should be. And and it's so true. I've, I've, I've discovered this thing in my life that, that makes me genuinely happy. Mm-hmm. And therefore, maybe fishing isn't, uh, an activity maybe fishing gives you a feeling that a lot of people would pay a lot of money for if you know what i mean and yeah. i'm very privileged and lucky and honored to, to live alongside the one constant in my life which is the river tyne so after this chat i'll be down there the start of the <laughs> season here to, uh, casting a very large red snell there to see if i can get the first spring of the season Fantastic. Do you know, we did, um, on the last podcast, we spoke to, and we'll get to this later on, but we spoke to a charity, Tackling Minds, about how fishing is so healthy Mm. um, for for not only the mind, but the body and soul, I guess. Mm. And uh, their strap line actually is, it links into sort of what you said, it's fishing is a way of life. Yeah. Um, and, and that resonates quite well. So, yeah, no, fantastic. What a a lucky, lucky guy, but let's, let's go back a little bit. I do Uh have, um, bit of a theme to these podcasts now i have to say we're breaking the mold a wee bit because notwithstanding i think um episode three of series one which was last year yeah. when we spoke to rob hughes yeah, yeah who is the england cart manager and host of on the bank on bt sport everybody else has been pretty much a match angler so it's always been some of competitions uh world championships the pressure of fishing big events and things like that. Sure. it's actually quite refreshing for me to talk about something slightly different in respect of traveling the world and and these big game fish etc so the theme is it's called past present and future sure so let's go right the way back to the past and sure. how did your fishing start well they say give me the boy of seven and I give you the man. And fishing today is just as joyous and wondrous and magical as it was when I was that seven-year-old. Mm. Uh, my father 
God rest his soul, was a miner for 42 years of his life and worked in an industry that wasn't designed for human beings. And he worked back shift. Mm. So that meant he worked through the night. So he couldn't spend, he couldn't spend any amount of time with his family because he had to, you know, make us kind of survive on on what he could earn. Mm. So during the summer holidays, we were looking for something to do. And uh, my father's brother, my uncle Matheson, took me fishing. Uh, what a great uh, name that is. You don't know that Green. anymore, do you? Yes, indeed. No, Matheson Green. Um, for reasons best known to other people, they call him Taff. I've no idea why, but they he's do. Not, not Welsh. No Welsh. <laughs> he's not though. Welsh at all, but there you go. Um, so, yeah, he. we got up at 4.30 in the morning, and um, which was a first for me at the age of seven. I'd yeah. never got up that early. And it was in June. It was June the 1st, start of the trout season. And um, I didn't know anything about fishing. And he says, I'm just going to take you up to this river called the, the River Coquit, which is in Northumberland. And um, we went down to the bank. And uh, on the way there, I saw barn owl, mm. saw some hedgehogs. <laughs> I saw yeah. kingfishers. I saw things and, and an otter. And I saw things that you only hear about or read about or see in pictures. And here at 4.30 in the morning, they were on my doorstep. Yeah. And suddenly time, it's a difficult thing to articulate, but time just kind of stood still and didn't exist. And all these beautiful things that were for free mm. were just playing out in front of you. So that first fishing experience presented so much extraordinary life-affirming uh, imagery, uh, which was beautiful. And it was a beautiful morning. And um, we went on the bank and he had a little uh, five-way fly rod. And uh, on the end of the the nylon, he had a top scent dispensable, which anybody who knows anything about fly fishing, isn't it, is a, a little nymph fly yeah. made from the hair of a sheep's testicle. So so I'm going, firstly, I'm going, well, that's a bit weird at the age of seven, and but also goes, who thought of that? Yeah, exactly. When, when you've run out of tying gear and you go, you look at this ram <laughs> in, in the distance and you go, I wonder if I use that to put on this fly, I'll catch a fish. Anyway, the mind boggles. Uh, and uh, he flicked this flyer onto the water and just let me hold the rod. And uh, he says, if you feel anything by just keep the line tight and I'll talk you through it. No word of a lie, as God is my witness. Uh, four and a half wild brown trout took wow. that fly. And that's a huge fish. Yeah. In today's standards, that is yeah. a huge wild brown trout. Anyway, uh, we, we we caught it. Uh, we couldn't take a picture of it. I only had the, uh, the, the imagery. We caught it and we put it on the bank. And he said... That is the fish of a lifetime for a lot of anglers. So I had the fish of a lifetime at the age of seven. First shock. Yeah, yeah first shock. But it was that feeling um, of the bite, that overwhelming, all-consuming feeling mm. of something that just felt incredibly normal. And as the day was progressing and we started to catch fish nowhere near that size, as the no, day was progressing, I just th started to feel that there's something really normal about this. This, this just makes sense. It's like, by design, we're mm. meant to do it. By design, I don't think I'm meant to be an actor. I mean, faking sincerity in front of a lens, don't get me wrong, storytelling is an amazing <laughs> thing and pretending to be other people and de in desperate need of approval from your audience is, is slightly absurd, ludicrous, but storytelling is beautiful. However, 
fishing for me and my friends who most of my friends are anglers uh it just felt right and felt fitting and it was like fly fishing it it fitted the river that t- that method just felt right as well as though fly fishing by design was meant to catch a fish rather than the spinners and the tobas and the lures and everybody else i'm not dissing it but that that just it was just beautiful well i've got and, this image in my mind now of of this scene because uh, you've set it out perfectly um i want to know was that was that fly sinking or floating it was it was subsurface so did you my, see the take no so oh. so no 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 you you, you don't um with, with with a nymph pattern most of those takes are, are just underwater but it was kind of a peaty water right. but i just felt the the line go tight and yeah. i knew during the battle there was something that was trying to get away but is what was taken over what what was happening what was this feeling was it the calling of our forefathers was it this is how we used to put food on the table yeah, yeah what was this this feeling rushing through my body that i need to get this creature to the bank was 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 this by design what we're meant to do was this bringing the hunter gatherer out in the seven-year-old kid from newcastle um and it, it was a day i just didn't want to end I just didn't want to end. And I think on good fishing days, and I'm sure you've experienced a lot of them, you don't want them to end. No, um, absolutely. And, and time, it, it, it's irrelevant because a lot of fishing is hours of waiting, hours of patience and seconds of chaos. But, <laughs> it's uh, true. Yeah. It is, yeah, but the, the presentation, the take, the retrieve, the netting, the catch and whether you eat it or not to conclude the whole kind of experience uh, is utterly normal to me and is something that continues today to make me incredibly and genuinely happy. You're right. It's I've had a million last casts before. That's yeah, for yeah, sure. yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. What did it ha- What happened then when you went back to see your friends and in this, you know, this mining community where you've grown up, where perhaps. A lot of these lads and lasses, they don't, they, they've not had that chance to get out to the countryside. And did, did they understand where you was coming from, what you'd experienced? When you said a kingfisher, did you get blank looks? How did it? Yeah, <laughs> you got all this excitement back at school. How but do you? Isn't it interesting? That? Isn't it interesting when you, what they were more interested in were the kingfishers, but a barn owl, a fox, an otter. You're kidding. What, Tarka exists in, in Northumberland? And, um, <laughs> And I was talking to the teachers as well, you know, when you have a show and tell and so what you did on your holiday. And mm. I, I, the age of seven, stood up in front of the class and, and talked about that experience. And I wish, you know, the, I didn't have a camera. I, I only had the imagery that uh, I had in my head and I was trying to articulate to everyone what it felt like and, and, and the fish felt like. But it it encouraged a lot of other people to go down and yeah. see the wildlife that was on your doorstep because, you know, Matheson taught me in a car, but you could cycle to these rivers. As I say, I'm, I mean, before this, this interview, I'm, I'm, I'm incredibly lucky to be living five meters from the river Tyne, mm. the one constant in my life. And saying to people that on your doorstep is the most extraordinary wildlife and just down the river is a waterfall where you will see salmon leap. Yes. Where people would travel thousands Fantastic. of miles to see that image. Yeah. Again, it's there on your doorstep. So that appreciation of nature 
and passing that on to others was was, was a, a lovely thing. But it's strange with the, the fishing thing. Um, what am I trying to say here? It, you have to do it and experience it to actually become hooked, I think. Anyway, yeah, you can you talk know, about it till the cows ab- come home. Absolutely, but until they've, they've, they've they've got a rod in their hand and they've they've, yeah. they've tried that cast and felt that, as you say, that take. Um, it's hard to articulate to to your peers. That is for sure. Yeah, and David, I don't know if you know, but I mean, it, thankfully, more and more younger anglers, especially with lockdown, are, are are coming on board. But at that time when I was fishing, I only knew men who fished, mm. and uh, very few young men who were, were, were taking it up, there was just, it, you know, it, it's, it's just that feeling. Some people get it from playing the piano. Some people get it from playing football. Some people get it from running. Some people get it from walking. I got this overwhelming sense of well-being at a very early age from fishing. Yeah. So I think it is different from, for everyone. But, you know, I'm sure us two talking hopefully will encourage people to, you know, go and experience fishing, but all the other, all the other add-ons around it. Because, you know, the fact that there are healthy fish in our water is a testament to everything uh, that's wrapped around it. Mm-hmm. The, the people who look after it, the nature that surrounds it, the, the wildlife that the fish feed off and the balance that is kept uh, of, of, of a beautiful river that, that's really well managed is, is something to behold. And I'd, I'd, I'd encourage people to actually, if they get a chance and they, if they have time, to just go and experience some of our beautiful rivers that exist in this country. Well, that's an interesting point about having time, because I think um, one of the challenges that some people would say they don't get a chance to experience fishing is they've got too much going on, busy life. Life just seems so much faster nowadays with the immediacy of information, I guess. And maybe that's one of the challenges, but we'll get to that in a little while. But let's think about, so you've done that first that first cast, that first session with your uncle, mm. and then it develops. So um, how did that fit in with your acting? Because obviously, I'm assuming, I'm guessing you can fill us in, but when you left school, you did whatever you did to get into your acting career. How do you fit that in with learning lines, you know, learning your, your craft as an actor? Well, um, firstly, I, I never went to drama school. I, I, went, I, was, I was part of the University of Life. When I left school at the age of 16, I became part of the design team at Swan Hunter Shipbuilders. I was part of the whole design, and I worked at Swan Hunter Shipbuilders for five years. Wow. And okay. again, um, I don't know if you know where Swan Hunter Shipbuilders is, in a place called Wall's End, and that is on the yeah. banks of the River Tyne. Tyne, yeah, <clears throat> well, of course. Well, so you buy water again. You buy water all, all the time. So maybe there is just the stars are aligned in my life. And again... It has been the one constant in my life, this this extraordinary river, one of the oldest in the world. So subliminally, the, the need to be alongside water has always kind of been there. So every time uh, I got the chance after work, um, you know, being in hull design, you work in a thing called CADAN, computer-aided design and manufacture. Uh, that finished, you were from the computer. So you had, especially, you know, in the spring and summer um, months, you had a lot of daytime to go fishing, which I would nearly every evening. And go with, go with my Uncle Matheson, which I still do today. Um, or, or just try some of the rivers up at, at Bellingham or the North and South Tyne or near Bywell and all the other beautiful big beats that exist here mm-hmm. and and use different methods to catch fish. And at that time, uh, we're talking 82 to 86. Um, at that time, I 
I caught and I harvested the fish. I would take my limit uh, for mm. four salmon. It was a good salmon river there, and it still is for, for, for different reasons, though. But um, I would take my quota and either freeze it or give it to relatives and eat wild Atlantic salmon, which if, you, if you're old enough to be around <laughs> when you were able to eat wild Atlantic salmon, tastes nothing like you get in the restaurants today because what you get in restaurants today, obviously, is farmed. Farmed, yeah. But, yeah. but I was still fishing nearly every other day and uh got got hold of a fly rod uh, given to me by my uncle matheson and got into tying nymphs uh, pheasant tail nymphs with matheson and we'd just go down and catch trout and i loved it then when i turned professional that's when everything changed uh, as an actor yeah i turned professional in in 1986 and uh, when when you're telling stories like you say, there's a lot of lines to learn and you know, there's no nine to five with acting. It's 24 seven. And like after this interview, I've got lines to learn for a show I'm about to start. And that will take me till about, I don't know, nine, 10 tonight in acting. You again, you're up at half four in the morning, but not to go fishing is to go into the makeup room, put your makeup on. (laughs) You then go, uh, on set, you rehearse and you're working till easy. You're working 16, 18 hour days mm-hmm. and sometimes seven days a week and you have no holidays or anything like that. However, luckily, which we'll get onto, I'm sure, uh, luckily what happened was I got a job <laughs> later on in my life that got me back into fishing. Yeah. But in terms of um, stopping uh, the, the fishing, that, that did happen from the age of about 22 to uh 22 to 28 uh there were there, there were rare occasions when i'd go fly fishing it's just because i didn't have the time and it was all consuming and mm. i had to i had to earn a living and, and pay bills and and fishing wasn't doing that at that time no of course of mm. course mm. How, how did that be if you was doing the whole cat piece with the um the shipyard how did the acting start i know this is a slight tangent it's not, no, it's it's not. not fishing but uh, did was you doing some sort of local productions or whatever? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. very early on, I was Joseph and his technical dream coat at the age of seven. Um, I just loved standing up and telling stories. Fantastic. Uh, I don't know yeah. where that came from. And storytelling is everything. And, you know, we've all, all of us have extraordinary stories to tell and reminding us that the most ordinary life can be extraordinary, not because of what you're given, but because of what you're able to achieve and, my mom and dad had great taste in films. So I'd go to the cinema a lot. And the first movie I ever saw uh, as a kid was Bedknobs and Broomsticks. Fantastic. Brilliant. Angela, Lange, Angela, yeah. Angela Lansby. It was, it was an amazing, amazing, amazing movie. And then Cool Hand Luke and then The Magnificent Seven. And I just wanted yeah. to be part, part of that world because it was a window to the world. And I discovered that stories at a very early age could change the way you think and 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 think about the way you fit within the world you live in and can change your opinions on so many issues that's going on in the world. I think it's a very, very powerful kind of medium, uh, cinema and TV, as, as we all know, TV is incredibly powerful and, mm. and changes the way we think about the world. And um, so I just wanted to be part of it. So I joined a youth theatre very early on at Backworth and just became played characters in local plays. And uh, at the age of 16, uh, when I left school and joined the shipyard, I, I was part of the, while fishing, I was part of a, a drama group at Backwoods. And the director there said, 
do you know you have the ingredients to survive in this industry? Because that's all acting is. You've got to survive, man. Mm-hmm. You know, you're only as good as your last job, so they say. And um, like fishing, I loved it. Like acting and storytelling was a necessity. But there were there was always those voices, Dave, telling me that uh, it's called imposter syndrome, that I don't belong, that, yeah. you know, your your future is in industry, be it shipbuilding, be it, uh, be it engineering, be it the mines, that's that's your pathway. And that's all, because that's all that surrounds you and that's all you know, really. So you know, it's all your family's doing, yeah, it's yeah, all yeah. your friends do, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I kind of just thought, do you know what? Like fishing, acting will be a hobby that I love. So I had these things to do and that's what it's all about that's what fishing is i was on holiday recently with my partner and we were fly fishing uh and the scene everybody else was sunbathing this guy came up and he went what a wonderful thing to do he just said you're doing something you're just occupying your mind with something you really like and they say an occupied mind doing something you like is a very very happy mind and so with acting and fishing um it really was a great leveler from uh money worries and work worries as as was the main topic of conversation with my family because we were always struggling financially so um that was at that time an escape uh would the two go hand in hand i.e i'm thinking here you you, you're doing some production at the local theater group or whatever and Mm. you know you're 17 years of age you finished your shift um down at the shipyard so you're going and chucking a fly out for the evening are you reciting lines are you thinking about um your drama side of things whilst you're relaxing on the bank all the time yeah all the time hand in hand right yeah yeah it is it's it's so true however if it's a good fishing day everything disappears and no word of a lie uh i was doing grantchester last year and i'd had a belting weekend with my lovely friend james murray at a belt weekend, we caught a few, and uh, I, I, I hadn't uh, learnt the lines in the way I usually did, and I really struggled for a couple of days in front of the camera. Mm. <laughs> they were going, "Oh, you're not really? your usual self, yourself, <laughs> Robson." I went, "Yeah," and, and the cameraman went, "Yeah, you've been fishing because he was he was a, he was an angler as well." <laughs> so my mind had been occupied with catching a bar of silver rather than learning the the, the lines within a scene. But so usually, it yeah, it's, 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 yeah, yeah, it can, but. It is a it is a great way to focus and 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 think about while you're waiting or reading the water and knowing when a good time to cast is. You can just sit back and 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 do a bit of, of work in a, in a beautiful setting. Absolutely, there was, there was the playwright. His name escapes me somewhat, or the writer, where he says. Um, fishing is a worm at one end and a fool at the other. So, I mean, I'd go with that. The fish always, <laughs> the fish always win, don't they? A jerk at one end of the line waiting for a jerk at the other. Yes, that's, that's right. <laughs> I can't remember who said that. I it was, think it, was it? I think was it Girak? No, John Girak. It, it was. Uh, uh, do you know what? While we're talking, I'm out of a little snoop on uh, Google okay. and find that out because that that will frustrate. Because it's a really great line. I always, whenever I have a bad day, I always think, yeah, they're right. I've sat there like the idiot, and the fish have the fish have won. But fantastic. Yeah. Let, let's come a little bit further on then. So that's how the the story began, if you like, in terms of uh, your fishing career, and then obviously building with the acting piece. Sure. So that, that period of twenties um, reminds me. There's no parallels here, but it reminds me a little bit when when I 
I, I sort of worked overseas from being 23 till 30. And yeah. I could only pick up a rod on very odd occasions when the when the opportunity presents itself. I remember I was taken to a lake in the middle of uh, the mountains once, just in the Canary Islands, and managed a 25-pound carp. I'd not fished for about four years. It was like wow. the greatest feeling ever. Wow. Um, things like that. So that, was, that must have been really frustrating. But at the same time, you building a, an, an insane career in terms of you know the singing piece the soldier soldier all the way what, am i right in my little bit of research again was unchained melody seven weeks at number one well yeah i mean that was that was an insane time uh, you know i bet it was imagine imagine as part of your life that you never intended to happen so i was in a, a huge monster hit series called soldier soldier and a lot of your listeners if you're old enough you'll remember that time oh yes even and i do. remember that yeah. yeah and um it was beautifully written it was beautifully produced and uh, uh the people in front of the lens were just at the top of their game um and thank thankfully i was surrounded by them all and um uh, yeah, we it was like at its height was watched by 23 million people. Yeah, crazy. And there was this episode in series three. We were filming in 1993. No, I tell a lie. We were filming it in 1992. It came out in 1993. So we're filming a series in 1992. And one of the episodes, there's a scene where there's a wedding. The My. band don't turn up. Myself and the actor Jerome Flynn sing a song. And this is in 1992. I've mm. never said, I've never, this is the first time I've told this story in 1992. And uh, we sing Unchained Melody. And it's, it's not the greatest version, but Jerome and I are trained singers. And um, we finish the scene and everybody applauds in the, in the scene. And it's part of the story. As the episode is cut together in the editing room, we get a phone call from the editor who says, you do know that's a number one. You do know it's your number one. That's a number. It's got a number one written all over it, Robson. It's a lovely version. And I went, <laughs> I went um, yeah, but uh, we're actors. There's, there's no way we'd pursue a music career. And the episode then goes out in 1993. Uh, it's the summer of 1993. Goes out. Really popular episode. Lovely uh, write-ups about it. And then there's a phone call to my agent. There's a man who my agent and no one has ever heard of <laughs> ringing up saying, uh, we would love Robson to release that, Robson and Jerome to release that as a record. The man on the phone was a guy you may have heard of called Simon Cowell. I was going to say it wasn't Simon Cowell, was it? That it was, was around Cowell. the time he was dressing up as a dog. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> anyway, he goes on and I'm like, there's no way that's going to happen. And, um, he just continued, continued. This is in 1993. Yeah, yeah. He continued all the way through to 93 to the point where he rang my mother. Uh, he got, somehow got my mother's number via um, spies in the Northeast, trying to convince my mother to convince me to sing. And um, I said no. In 1994, he continued to to call to the point wow. where I got a lawyer because it was harassment. Um, it sounds like Alex Ferguson trying to sign Shearer. <laughs> uh, oh, that's very different. <laughs> anyway, I said, look, uh, this is going to get legal if you, you don't um, leave off. He then says, I will pay you this amount of money if you record Unchained Melody. And after he told me the amount of money, I started gargling. <laughs> so, <laughs> 
<laughs> so it was a it was a life changing amount of money where I thought I could do a lot of great things within the industry. I could start a film company. I could get scripts. I could employ people. My God, that's all I was thinking. I wasn't yeah. thinking anything else. And it, I, I continue to do that today. I could invest in people and I could create an infrastructure up here, a little production company with that amount of money. So within a very, very, very short space of time, the next thing Jerome Flynn and I know, we are on stage on top of the pops, number one, <laughs> and in the audience is Bon Jovi, Michael Jackson, Elton John, David Bowie, Oasis, who hated us, because I don't know if you know, we kept Oasis off number one. Number one, time. Yeah. The, 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 um, And we entered the Guinness Book of Records for the fastest selling single in the history of British popular music, yeah. outselling the Rolling Stones and the Beatles. I'm glad it stopped. I think that was the highlight. And I'm glad um, one episode of Animal Hospital, uh, where a woman came in with two uh, guinea pigs, and when asked what's the problem with the guinea pigs, she said, it's Robson. He's not right. And <laughs> Robson, the, Robson the guinea pig died live on television. And I just thought, Do you know what? That's, that's a signal. We need to stop this nonsense. But we had three number ones, three number one albums, and it was an extraordinary time singing alongside Tina Turner and Sure and Alice Cooper and uh, all, all the greats, Lionel Richie. I mean, it was it was incredible, unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. And, and when I was doing my little research, I think there's still a record in there. As um, and I know you said the fastest selling, but I think the the sheer number. Um, yeah. of, of of the album that you put together, I think is still within the top ten. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah it is. Yeah, and certainly with duos. Same. I mean, you don't really get male duos as such anymore, do you? It's, yeah, it's yeah, quite yeah. A, a unique thing. Yeah, it always tried to get Jerome into the fishing, but he because I mean, it was it was an insane roller coaster, and no time for self. And on a very very kind of dark note, I started to go down an avenue that was incredibly destructive mentally and 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 towards the the the, the worst period of it physically as well mm. and i needed uh, i needed help and uh part of the uh avenue out of that uh dark place was was fishing absolutely and, and uh so that's that's what got got me out of that that pit so to speak let's talk then about the the, the post crazy area what you just talked about the 90s yeah. and then how we've come into the extreme fishing the ultimate catch all all that side of things and and, sure. and by the way if the listeners are, are i'm sure you know come across before but some of these fantastic um i think you did one called coast it was the northumberland coast yeah yeah, yeah. Coast. From northumberland no, yeah and another you went and saw does does jerome now live in wales if i remember that's right, right. in pembrokeshire a, yeah yeah there was a great thing so some of these walking and 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 um documentaries that you've done yeah fantastic as well but so lucky Talk about these. Um, oh, just made a note. Samuel Johnson said the uh, the yeah, worm okay. one and, and the fool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but the other the, the fishing series. So you you you've come out of the the the, the crazy times, if you like, and then yeah. you've had the opportunity to do these fantastic um, fishing series. How did they come about? Who approached you to to do them? So I'm doing a movie in Texas called Prayer of the Bone. Lovely film. And uh, we're filming in Austin and we have to promote the film. So we're there in this kind of uh, press gang and a guy goes, it's a very uh, heavy film you're involved in. The, the mm. subject matter is really dark uh, and, and really kind of gritty and you really have to 
go below the surface. What, what do you do to get out of this? What do you do to relax, Robson? Mm. Now, what do you what do you do to relax, right? And I, I <laughs> yeah. said, um, I said, uh, I like fly fishing. Well, you, uh, you you go fishing for flies? I went, no, we use a fly to catch a fish, and he didn't. He had no idea what I was talking about. Anyway, um, I said, fishing is my thing. Fishing is my everything. Fishing is not an escape from life. It's a greater immersion into it, which was far too poetical an answer for what he wanted you just thought oh, this guy's a bit weird and where, where'd you go fishing in austin texas uh coincidentally a producer called hamish barber watched the interview he lived in glasgow and for some unknown reason he was watching tv at 11 o'clock at night in a hotel room skipping channels and he saw me yeah on tv talking about fishing within 24 hours he's on to my agent uh, saying, uh, would I be interested in a fishing show? And um, I, I, <laughs> I said, right. yeah, I, I said, no, because um, I'm not a presenter. I always know my limitations. And I always think you've got to be really careful with the artistic choices you make. And truth be known, uh, if it wasn't for Hamish Barber, the, the, the series would never have been made because the first episode was, was terrible. I was awful. But that's, that's another story. He just went, do you want to give it a go? Uh, we want to take you to Costa Rica. We want to take you to South Africa. And we want wow. to take you to all these incredible places with these iconic rivers. Anyway, it was a very, very strange conversation with my ex-wife because it, it, it was an extraordinary commitment. But yeah. it was the opportunity of a lifetime. And I, I, I thought we, we could work it out. And so the rest is history after 15 series of of the fishing format mm -hmm. i'm still doing it today but that's how it started it was just by chance hamish barber of iwc productions in glasgow at 11 o'clock at night in a hotel room was skipping channels and he saw me do an interview and said i like fishing and he went i want that guy to front a fishing show written in the stars like you say absolutely yeah. right place right time yeah. do you know one thing though too and this is not by the way and this is no um no dis i can't think of the word I i'm not being disrespectful at all but there's one thing that does miss out of all your shows and it's obviously a purpose and it might be to do with the fact at the start when you said you're not the greatest angler on earth but yeah, you yeah. don't talk tactics whatsoever it's pure catching fish which actually for me and for the for the non-angler perhaps is a great angle you're not saying oh i'm using x pound line this is yeah. the, the, the pattern is that by design or default no that was that was uh the remit of the show I, I could wax lyrically about line density, uh, flow rates, um, water temperature, which is essential, and knots. I mean, we did an episode where we weren't catching fish and this guy went, we were in Australia, and mm. he went, Robson, I can tie 20 knots in 30 seconds. <laughs> I was like, 20 knots in 30 seconds? It's impossible. Yeah. I went... Okay, he said, well, maybe maybe a minute. I went, okay, you want to tie 20 knots in a minute on a piece of nylon? Go on then, knock yourself out. And as he's doing it, I just went, have you ever kissed a girl? <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> I was just like, Get there, there are knots that are the essential part and density is everything. And I try to bring an angle in to catch a fish. You've got to think like a fish. Yes. Um, there are so many methods we can use there are so many people think they know the best way to catch a fish the best lure the best presentation the best form of retrieve the best time to go out a fish however 
if we knew everything about catching fish, they would disappear because we would have caught them all by now. Yeah, exactly. So I think it's still wonderful we don't know. So that, that was deliberate. The complexities of taxi, tactics, um, times, and all the other complexities which are essential within fishing, he just went, Robson, just tell us how you feel. Because mm. we, want, we wanted to uh, appeal not only to anglers, but people uh, yeah, who enjoy the I scenery, yeah, this people is who enjoy the wildlife. Yeah. I mean, I never in my wildest dreams thought I'd travel to Costa Rica to catch the fastest fish in the world, which is the sailfish. It's your four is platypateris, and it's your four mean carrying the sail mm. on its back. This thing that can travel at nearly 70 miles an hour hydrodynamically, it's perfect in design. Um, I never thought I'd see this creature leap through the water and then while we're while we're on our way back you come across a super pod of dolphins <laughs> which i think by design are put on this planet to make you smile so it was the overall the travelogue the the what lies beneath kind of curiosity the catch will i get it will I, the jeopardy that's involved in fishing you know you travel all this way are you going to get this creature that you're talking about so there was a kind of story unfolding so it wasn't just about the tactics and as the series progressed i thought maybe i know a bit about fishing and i could bring that aspect into it but um the producers um, uh, of which I was one, uh, we just got together and it was more the people seeing the world through your eyes. So vicariously, yeah. they're spending an hour with you and they just want to enjoy that hour of where you are, who you're with, which is incredibly important in, in fishing and, um, and, and what you're after. And what I learned from the series was that fish tend not to reside in ugly places, man. And no, ma no matter what you're after or who you're with or what you're trying to catch, it is always difficult to be unhappy yeah. because the fish are great barometers for us all. My mate James Murray always calls it the canary in the coal mine. If you've got healthy fish in, in the ocean, you've got healthy fish in the river, it kind of signals that all is well in the world. When they go missing and they're in decline and they're not there anymore, we got a serious problem. Yeah. And sadly, we're heading towards that. But that's what I got from the series. And, and yes, it was a deliberate decision not to go down. Okay, this is the, 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 the rig I'm going to use. This is a setup. And I'll tell you why I use the setup. Usually, I just go, I'm using this fly because it replicates the, the, the bait species in this, in this area. And if I retrieve it in a certain way, I'll, I'll, it'll replicate a distressed bait fish. And hopefully, the creature we're after will go for it. And nine, nine times out of 10, that was enough. Yeah. And, and if we, we did kind of elaborate on tactics, it, it was reduced in the edit. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I totally get it. Because, yeah. I mean, let's look at the probably, you know, the, the most popular fishing show. Uh, of recent times on terrestrial telly with the, yeah. the White Paul House Bob. and Mortimer thing. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, they're not talking tactics. They're, they're all about the outdoors. They're all about the quarry. They're all about the location. You know, I love the angle with the, the accommodation on that. Yeah. And that is fascinating great, as the, uh, as the fishing bit, look at these great yeah. places that they stay yeah. in. And so, you know, I, t I totally get it. I'm just interested as to whether that was the, the brief or not. If yeah, it, it was. And, and, and like you say, Dave, Watching Paul and Bob, which I adore, and I don't know if you saw the last uh, Christmas special, where they actually they came on the Tyne. They did. And I suddenly realised, I just went, do you know what I'm watching here? I'm just watching two people yeah. who enjoy living. Mm. 
they're just enjoying life. And I know there's cameras there or anything, but they're skilled enough and, and relaxed enough and confident enough to actually put over the joy of the outdoors, the joy of being alongside water, the joy of seeing fish in the water, and the joy of catching a fish as well. And, and everything that goes with fishing is so life-affirming life affirming, and, and so, so good for you. And I think that really comes across, and I think that's why people watch it. They just want to watch two guys who really enjoy life. Do you know there was that sub-story as well, wasn't there? It's not been eroded, but it's sort of filtered out a wee bit over the last couple of series, of course, about the whole health conditions, and that's how yeah. the story started. It was, yeah. I think, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Paul had had his stents Heart or bypass, whatever. wasn't it, yeah. Bypass, yeah, and then we had to take, you know, Bob was the same, let's go out fishing, you know, let's get some fresh air. Yeah. And, it, and it grew from there um, as to where it is today. And Absolutely. No, fantastic. If you were to choose one of your um, favourite episodes, what would it be? It would be the Christmas one, because it was, it was on the time... Sorry, I meant your own. Oh my! <laughs> not, oh, sorry. Yeah, your own, not Bob. We can get back to uh, Bob, but no, your own. So I'm, not, I'm looking at extreme fishing four series. Yours? Oh <laughs> uh, no! So, uh, well, it it, it 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 was a hybrid of, of many and came in many shapes or forms. It went from extreme fishing to fish fighting. Anyway, it was all the same show, Dave. Yeah. It was all the same show. Those fifteen series it's were crazy. all the same show, and uh, but the the best one. For me, was when uh, in series three we were in the Philippines and uh, we caught nothing. It was a storm. I mm. uh, was on an island and we suggested uh, that the the theme would be: now that I've had two series under my belt, maybe I know a bit about fishing, and mm. maybe I have to eat what I catch and survive off fishing for a couple of days on an island. Like a kind of Robinson Crusoe scenario. Yeah, that's quite cool. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, it's, it's my favorite episode because it's an absolute disaster. I know nothing about I suddenly discovered I know nothing about fishing. Um, I was a, a fish out of water, way out of my depth. I rang the producer, I went, get me off this island and get me back to the hotel. <laughs> but it was one of the best examples of travelogue, celebration of a beautiful country with its over 7,000 islands, extraordinary people who do things that books cannot teach you. Mm. Uh, the, 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 the celebration of community and how people rely on each other and rely on the water that surrounds them and how fish are revered in that area. Um, introduced to using nature as uh, an indicator for catching a fish. I'm sure you've been out and uh, at sea sometimes and the captain will look for birds flying at a certain yeah. height in the sea because they've spotted something or using a landmark or, 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 or smelling, smelling fish mm. that have been eaten by a marlin or a sailfish. Cause if they hit the bait fish, it sends out an oil into the air. I've been with people who can smell fish from like 500 yards away and they turn the boat around and you go cast your fly in that direction. Yeah. So the Philippines episode it was just it was just the full package of travelogue celebration of people celebration of of species we were after but a real celebration of of community and people and a culture and an identity and a real sense of self and that's gorgeous to be alongside when you when you're doing something especially especially fishing i mean as i said right at the start most of my best mates are anglers yeah men and women yeah i mean my majority of my fishing is apart from 
a few lovely rivers where I live, it is, yeah. you know, uh, normally fishing a bit of a muddy puddle, if you like, and you do lose a bit of an element of that. But I can empathise with the story you just said. I, the greatest experience for me fishing was catching a sailfish. That was you it? Just, yeah, and it was very more commercial. It was Florida Keys. Um, yeah, done it. But what was really interesting that just made me think of this memory it was 10 years ago this year as well, is that we had a, a bit of a legendary captain. He was called Jack Kelly. He was very well, he's not with us anymore, bless him, right. but he was very well-known captain off Florida Keys. And he was like that. Forget your fish finders, not interested. He'd, he'd go from where a cloud was in the sky, you know, yeah. where the, how the winds just changed, how the current seems to have just changed against the bow. Yeah. All these weird and wonderful, just from living on the water for 60 yeah, plus yeah, yeah. years. And, yeah, yeah. and to to get that from all these different cultures that you've experienced. What a wonderful, wonderful thing. Yeah, I mean, I've travelled over to over 130 countries, mm. be it the Azores catching skipjack tuna to catching um, hapuka in New Zealand uh, to catching the barramundi on the fly in Australia or catching fish in China and Africa on the Zambezi, on the Nile. Oh, and of course, the Amazon. I've been travelled the Amazon from source to sea, from right from the the, the the Andes and Peru, all the way to Rio. What what an extraordinary privilege that is! Mm. And and I said, and a, a lot. I got a lot of stick from the angling community where they were going talk tactics. Me, you know, you're not. Well, that's why I raised this. That's why. I, that's why I raised. <laughs> what are you the, going uh, on the... about? And I was like, oh. Gosh, I, I know, but there are other people far, far more qualified than me to actually do what the anglers are, are asking. I can only do what, what I do. And luckily for me, uh, a lot of people were watching the series. But the, the, it's a monster series, I mean, in, in, in South Africa. I mean, it's shown in 144 territories to date. Mm -hmm. So the recognition I get is, I get recognized for the, the acting work I do, but traveling abroad, everybody's are you the guy who does the fishing show I was, in, <laughs> I, I was in bermuda recently i've just got back from antigua uh, iceland uh, south africa ridiculous uh, does it not work the other way when you're fishing do not say are you the guy that's the other guy <laughs> who sung that song that's at number one for ages you know uh, listen i this, so this is true not so long ago i'm on the I live in Northumberland, beautiful place called hexham and uh i'm on the tyne and i was casting a line Last season, this guy comes up and he goes, "Yeah, right, Mister Green, you're that, you're that fellow of the television, aren't you? Who does the the fishing programs?" He says, uh, "I watch you with interest." And then there was a pause, and he went, "You're an irritating bugger." <laughs> and, and as he walked off, he went, "Tight lines." <laughs> Thank you very much. Thanks very much. <laughs> I bet you laughed though, didn't you? Of course, of course. That's the best form. Of, you know, the best, best, best things are criticism. I don't want to be liked all the time. Goodness. Oh, that is you know, it, it was great. So, um, but luckily, uh, I've been accepted into the angling world, and uh, my my fly casting still today may be described as ugly, but the fish don't seem to mind because I, I keep catching a few. But um, I, it's nice. I opened the Tay. Recent uh, this season, opened the, opened the fishing season with my mate Jim Murray. I've been asked. I opened the D not so long ago, and I'm asked to go on fishing trips around the world, which I still find extraordinary. I always look over my shoulder because I don't think they're talking to me. It's bizarre. <laughs> Fantastic. Tell us about some of the. I'm just just a question just popped in my mind because we spoke about um, a couple of other shows. There, what are the challenges filming fishing on sets for? 
a show like these. I mean, we've all got, I've got a YouTube channel, tons of people, you know, everybody can set up a bit of a GoPro and make a, a, a homemade video, but to do it professionally with all the equipment that's needed, the cast, the crew, etc. What are the, the main challenges you come across? Apart from uh, catching the actual fish, which is well, obviously that, the biggest. That, well, you've hit it on the head. That, that, that's it. It's you. You are under pressure to tell a story, and they, at the end of the story, there has to be a payoff. You, mm. you. So we go to the Azores, and when we go to the Azores, we're going to catch a blue marlin. That's what the producer thinks, and that's what a lot of the team who aren't anglers yes. thinks going to happen. I always, I always love it in the script again. And after Robson catches the marlin, he will turn to camera and talk about what a wonderful experience it's been in the Azores. And I'm thinking, do you know how difficult it is to catch a marlin? Mm. It doesn't. You don't just go out and catch one. Sometimes it doesn't happen. And I remember the first day going out with the film crew, which on average there's ten. You have people there, you have fixers, you have associate producers, you have people sorting out permissions, uh, you have, on average, two to three camera people, you have a director, yeah. and you have a producer. And um, they're just making it, it, it all goes according to plan. And usually every aspect of it does, but there's one part of it doesn't, and that's catching the fish. Mm. And you have to have the payoff. And that's the biggest challenge, is telling the story. And... Eight times out of 10, we have changed the story because uh, you, sh you have to shoot what's actually happening. So, yeah. for instance, we went to Naha in Okinawa. We were going to go for mahi-mahi. Um, uh, uh, people call it the Dorado. Dorado yeah. it, well, actually, the, it's, it's falsely called Dorado. Dorado is a Spanish word for, for golden. That's because it refers to the golden hue. But actually, you know, the, the, the true golden Dorado in South America, that's a different fish. But this is a mahi-mahi. Mahi being a Polynesian word, which means strong. Mahi-mahi, very strong. So we were going to go out and, and in the script, catch one on the fly. And there was a typhoon. Ah. So we filmed, <laughs> we filmed four days of being basically in an, an air raid shelter, uh, sheltering from the storm. Wow. But the story we told was like humans. Once that storm settles, those fish are going to be hungry and they're going to be active. And that was the story. And on the final two days, we went out and in all hell broke loose. It was fantastic. But that's, the, and, and I'm going a really long way around and answering your question, the challenge is the payoff. Nature the, as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, the challenge is always the weather. The challenge is always the contributors not really adhering to the story because they've got other ideas. Do you know what I mean? But, but it's, 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 it's a challenge I always love. You ever felt unsafe? Uh, uh, some once. of these places you've been to, you know, that have their own challenges. Yeah. Uh, uh, well, once I thought I was going to die off the Brooks Peninsula in uh, off Canada, we were going for black cod and we hit a force 10, which was a hurricane. And I don't know if you know when you're going out to sea and the swell is so high. I mean, it's just that they're, they're mountainous waves and anyone who's been in, in a mountainous swell, they're mountainous mm. and you think you're going to die wow. and you can't turn around. So we want 36 hours of hell. And uh, I'm not a religious man, but I did have a few words with the almighty. Mm. Uh, but we made it after 36 hours. And the other one was in Senegal and it just got, dangerous man there were a lot of people who didn't want us there yeah. to the point where we had to have bodyguards uh, that that was that was scary that was mm. really scary uh but other than that 
we went to some beautiful places, met some beautiful people, and caught some lovely fish. Yeah, because I always think thinking of the, the array of, of, of fishing shows that you can watch. I always remember Jeremy Wade getting hit by Love lightning. Yeah. yeah. Oh, getting yeah. hit by lightning. How scary is that? Yeah, we had happened in Panama. But it was a great backdrop and they caught it on camera. We just got this sheet lightning happening and then this stuff was, was I, I thought was just about to hit the boat and I thought, God, what a way to go. Yeah. But I, it, it's interesting, the, the, the two times that I've described where I nearly lost my life. Um, the producer, <laughs> Hamish, back in yes. Glasgow went, is everybody all right? I went, yes. He went, did you get it on film? <laughs> <laughs> That's the end goal. Yeah, it is, and and usually we did, and so that's I think that's what set it apart from other fishing shows. Yeah, the fishing in all the shows I've done was was always a backdrop, as it always is to our lives. You know, yes. when we go, it's it's it, there's so much more to it than just catching a fish. I know it's a it's a cliche, but it's true. I love it. Well, that brings us actually. We've if by default we've gone around from starting. Um, yeah. We even spoke a little about singing, and then of course <laughs> these wonderful uh, angling series that you've done. What about going into the future then? So past, present, future. What what's the plans for Robson Green now? From a well, from a personal, because I'm quite interested, personal perspective, and and from a fishing sense. Well, I I'm in a great place at the moment. I've I, I've done okay with with the acting, and it's and it's still going ahead. I'm about to embark on another series of Grandchester, very, mm. very popular series, not only in Britain, but abroad. It's a monster in America, uh, 1950s um, a period drama uh, revolving around the relationship between a detective and a priest played by the lovely Tom Brittany. And uh, a priest who has people confessing their sins is a very good tool for a detective. So um, <laughs> so that, that that's going on. There is... Looks like just need to sign the dotted line, but another series of coast to coast where I'll be traveling to some of the most idyllic places in the United Kingdom, meeting some, you know, larger than life people. Again, ordinary people doing extraordinary things. Mm-hmm. Um, and myself and my very good friend, James Murray, we shot a series in Iceland last year called uh, Robson and Jim's Icelandic Fly Fishing Adventure, which yes. is uh, on I- ITV Hub at the moment and on Apple Play and and other other platforms. And I must say the place looks absolutely stunning. It is, but what it reminds us, Dave, is, is what our rivers used to be like. Yeah, crystal You know, we clear, used to yeah. have rivers like that. And the reason why they are so prolific in Iceland and expensive um, is because... <laughs> uh, is because People look after them and people take care of them and they, they, they manage them because they realize how important fishing is, the tourism industry, but fish in general, how important they are to that country in, in a certain way that they're, they're kind of revered. I mean, it, it's, it's no joke that if the cod were to leave uh, Iceland, the economy would collapse. Yeah. That's how reliant they are on the fishing. So they really manage the water as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all about sustainability. So we, we visited there and caught some extraordinary fish on the fly. And mm. um, again, a celebration of a country that not only makes sure its species survives, but thrives as well. And, you know, we, we, we could take a feather out of their cap and apply their management kind of uh, system apply mm. to this country uh which we're doing there's some amazing people doing extraordinary things here so uh jim and i are in pre-production of uh robson and jim's british fly fishing adventure okay in, in which right. we'll be visit- jim and i will be visiting um 
the, the, the big five rivers in Scotland. We'll be doing an episode on the Tyne and we'll be doing an episode in Wales and meeting contributors like uh, Sam Fender, the great uh, rock star, yeah. uh, Newcastle's answer to Bruce Springsteen. We've got, <laughs> we've got Dominic West. We've got a uh, lovely actor, Dominic West, who's playing Prince Charles in The Crown at the minute. Yeah. Uh, we've got some great contributors, um, Wayne Vowden, the blind angler, Wayne ties flies and fly fishes, and he's B1 blind. What a great story. Yeah. yeah. And we've got Alex Lewis as well, who uh, was an athlete and who acquired a horrendous disease and uh, resulted in him losing four limbs. So mm. Alex is a quadriplegic and we're going to go fishing with, with Alex as well. So it's a really kind of life-affirming story, not only celebrating some of the most beautiful rivers and species that we have in this country, uh, but also the extraordinary stories that are, are linked to fishing. Well, I think that's a great point for me to, we can summarise or uh, we, we spoke before briefly about um, the increase in participation, I guess, mm. since the pandemic began. And I've got a few friends that work in the industry and, and you can see it on the bank and you can see that it is not only have those guys been inspired to, to maybe pick up a rod for the first time or or dust off the gear, um, which was in the attic, but actually it's sustaining. And that's a fantastic thing. So how do you see the future of, of, of angling in, in the UK? I think by default, we've had to intervene. It doesn't take a clever person to work out the graph of our fish species is going in the wrong direction. Mm -hmm. So we have to do something about it. It's a very nuanced argument. It's, it's down to climate change. It's down to pollution, all caused by us. It's down to predation. Mm -hmm. There's too many cormorants on this river now that never used to exist 50 years ago. And that, that's in a very short space of time, this, that there's been this rapid decline. So we, we do have to intervene, but the horizon is really healthy. Just from my experience, been alongside the tracking program on the Murray Firth, people who are checking how the smolt numbers are doing, leaving the big rivers that are fed by the Murray Firth in Scotland. Uh, the hatchery in the Tyne is is so important to its survival. And again, in the Towie in Wales or the other rivers around Cornwall and Britain, there are so many wonderful people, old and young, men and women, dedicating their lives to making sure that our rivers and our fish can be enjoyed uh, for generations to come. And that's what I'm getting. I'm, mm. I think we need to stop the shouting and I think we need to stop kind of using the, the, the documentary Seaspiracy as the barometer of what to do. You can't tell people to stop e eating fish. I think it's a ludicrous argument. Mm. But what we can do is say, let's stop the shouting. Let's stop the hating. Let's stop the hunches of why things are happen happening. Let's get evidence-based solutions here. Yeah. Let's, if it is predation, let's get the evidence and put it in front of the policymakers so we can bring about change. It's no point guessing. Mm. And let's stop hating people who are trying to make a living out of fishing because that's all people are doing. Yeah. There is there is mass overfishing. The industrial trawlers, that's a ridiculous argument. But we do have to find a way forward. And there are so many people now, lovely people, committed people who are doing that in order for, you know, species, not only salmon, but all sorts of species in the ocean, in our rivers to prosper.
and I, I, I think and I feel the horizon's looking very healthy when it comes to that. I agree. There's some brilliant projects in place. Yeah. And there's some one or two disturbing ones, but I've actually been challenged really well by various communities, not just angling. Yeah. There was, a, there was a, a ludicrous idea around some barriers in the Norfolk Broads, which would have stopped a huge mass migration of coarse fish to their spawning grounds. Yeah. But it wasn't just challenged by anglers. It was by, you know, local um, groups as well. And, and hopefully that will stop and common sense will prevail. But loads of good work, I agree. Yeah, yeah, I think there that's is. a, a, a right. really good way to, to summarise things. Absolutely. Well, what a great chat. It's been an absolute great pleasure. Fantastic. I'm going to go and watch a bit of extreme fishing now. What are you going to do? Me? I'm going to go fishing. Good lad. I'm going to try and catch my my first spring of the season. That's what I'm going to do, mate. I know it's February, but they'll be traveling. The water's a good height. It's a good temperature. Yeah. Might get one. You never know. I'll let you know if I do. No, you do that. And I think tomorrow (laughs) I'm going to try and go for maybe a nice couple of perch. Lovely. Spawning season for them soon. So they're nice and round. And brilliant. uh, We'll see how we go. So fantastic. Thank you so much, Robson. And uh, I wish you all the best in your future ventures. Uh, Lovely to chat to you. For all your fishing needs, be sure to check out Fishing Evolution. Boasting two floors of branded displays, visit our recently expanded superstore at Hadley Road in Sleaford where we offer a huge range of tackle from all of the leading course and cart brands such as Nash, Fox, Corda, Drennan, Preston, Guru, Daiwa and many, many more. You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram where we share all of the latest news and updates about products available in store. Okay, let's take a step into the metaphorical tackle shed and kicking off with Angling Times. Um, six of the best, it's called, and it's choosing six running water float patterns. And I think I've, this has caught my eye because fishing rivers uh, predominantly this winter and it takes a while to find, I guess, a pattern or a float that you're, you're feeling comfortable with. But what Angling Times have done here is they've chosen uh, two stick float patterns, um, a waggler, a, a, almost like a speci wag, a dumpy waggler, and then two pole floats. And I guess <laughs> John Allerton stick floats, the original classic stick float designed by the river legend John Allerton, an alloy stemmed float with a shouldered balsa body. They're still available. It uh, looks like they come in a pack of five. And if you go onto John's own website, which is www.allertonsangling.co.uk, uh, for those of us that remember, back in the day, these were an iconic float and still available and still the best. Running very closely to them, though, and I bought a couple of patterns, um, more of a slimmer shouldered float for the pole, or more for whip fishing, um, is the Dave Harrell range. Now, these are his number one insert sticks, and they've got quite a rounded shoulder, um, with, but with a hollow tip. So, obviously, you can see them at distance. That's the difference between them and the John Allerton ones, where they're at more of a balsa tip. Um, but I've been really impressed with those Dave Harrell ones. I can't remember. I think they're number threes, uh, much slimmer carbon stem. And the idea for those when I purchased them was to, to almost have a bulk halfway and then some strung out shot below. Um, when you're fishing to hand with quite a long whip. So I bought them in three gram plus sizes. So, yeah, a couple of uh, a classic pattern and a more 
well, a classic shape with a modern twist. Uh, but pole float wise, this one caught my eye because the Anglian Times describes this that if you were to only choose one river pole float, this would be it. And it's the Daiwa Agata. And it says a pole float with round body and wire stem. The line passes through the body for additional strength. Uh, the thick fibre bristle is highly visible yet super sensitive. And it says an adaptable float that can be run at pace or slowed down, ideal for big roach and perch. If you could carry only one river pole float, this would be it. And they range from sort of half a gram up to three gram. So that could be an option. Um, if you're struggling with your patterns and you, you you know your float shapes when fishing rivers, running water, it is a bit of a minefield because you're not too sure the pace, um, the weather conditions. You start getting upstream wind, things like that. But that could be an option. Um, one from me, though, uh, I've been having a little bit of success. We've quite enjoyed using this winter is Adrenaline um, SF3. And that is a lovely float for, um, for catching through the water, but also you can bulk it down as a carbon stem. Uh, but yeah, no, that's a, a really nice float that I've found pretty useful. And sticking with the theme of pole floats into Match Fishing Magazine, new gear section, a full new uh, natural pole float range by Preston Innovations. You've got numerous shapes and patterns called the Kerry, the Paolo, the Power and the Shipper. Obviously all named after uh, various consultants of Preston Innovations. I think it's the Kerry shape that catches my eye because it looks like it's quite a versatile shape a classic sort of round you know bodied pattern fiber bristle um and that ranges from half a gram up to four gram so that could be um, something perhaps when fishing in deep water skimmers etc but also rivers i imagine um, as well so float patterns very much in uh, the weekly and the monthly magazines just there Next thing in match fishing caught my eye is a new range of pellets that are being launched by Dynamite. So uh, big fish catter pellets. The idea behind these, uh, they come in just shy of two kilo bags. Two sizes, six and eight millets, perfect for pinging at range and fishing such uh, tactics as the bomb um, or pellet waggler. Low oil, uniform shape, dense pellet, specifically selected for accurate feeding. And the other range is a big fish method feeder pellets so again low oil fishery friendly premium micro pellets suit fishing the method easily um easy to prepare um and again big bag just shy of two kilos so it's looking at these bit of extra value i guess uh, with the bigger bags but also aiming at bigger stamped species so there's a couple of things from um match fishing and angling times just whilst i delve into improve your course fishing bit of a tried and tested piece from me i'm just coming up to a year now since i purchased um, a full suit um i wanted to go down the hulk and hunt route but there was quite a long lead time on, on getting that delivered, I just didn't have the time really, and a bit of an extra expense as well, albeit for Gore-Tex. But I went down the route of Leon Grant, and um, if anyone's familiar with the name Leon Grant or the Elite range that's out there, there's a couple of different companies that are utilising that range. Fantastic service. It was a bespoke, a bespoke pattern that I asked for. Not bespoke sizes. I, I went with an off-the-shelf medium, and it fits perfect. But you know, I chose my colours, where I wanted the name, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And I, I was that impressed with the service and the quality when it arrived. I'd kick myself and wish I'd have ordered a fleece as well. So initially, I ordered 
bib and brace, waterproof pole jacket. And I then followed up with um, Kev over at Leon Grant to, to put together a, a windstopper fleece for me as well. So that's what I've been using now for nearly a year. And I must say, super, super impressed. Uh, really well made, not got um, wet once, that is for sure. Really easy to clean. Instructions are there for you to, to sort of, you know, I still use Nicky wax and things like that. It's just a force of, of habit. I've cleaned it once, gone through the washing machine, no problems at all, drip dry. Yeah, really, really good. So if anybody's in the market for a suit, rather than getting one of the off-the-shelf from the big tackle companies or, or you know, if you're thinking the Hulk and Hunt route, take a little look. Leon Grant, um, I promise you, you won't be disappointed. Very, very good. Anyway, on to improve your course fishing. Uh, and once we've had a scan through here, we'll then take a bit of a dive into the archives. Let's see what we could get for our pennies uh, 20 years ago. Little uh, reel here coming out from Shimano, a Sahara. Now the Sahara range has been around for a number of years now, and this is a, a remodeling, uh, a, a newer design, if you like. Um, this is a 4,000 size, so perfect for feeder fishing. Um, 280 grams, which will give it a nice weight to balance, you know, a typical feeder rod, I guess, would be 11, 12 foot. Um, lots of tech that's been built into this as well. New gears, um, some new features on there also. And at the price of £75, uh, not bad whatsoever. Um, it actually, there's a long, there's a wider range. This is uh, reviewing the 4,000, but it actually goes from a tiny 500 model up to 5,000. So something for everything. I imagine those 500 models would be great for perhaps a bit of drop shotting, 5,000, you know, perhaps rivers and, and, and long method feeder fishing. So uh, Shimano, always quality reels. So perhaps that could be something that you'd take a look at if you were to, uh, to be in the market for a new reel. Well, let's jump back into the archives in this magazine that I've been referring to throughout the podcast, the uh, Angling Plus February 2002 edition. Um, actually, one thing I didn't point out on the first episode when I said I was going to start looking back at these old magazines, the prices of them, uh, that's just out of interest as well. I mean, we talk about inflation and the challenges we've got now. But um, so this magazine, it was a monthly version. It was specifically for match fishing. Uh, February 2002 was £2.80 for a magazine. Um, if I look at this month's match fishing, February 2022, £4.99. So nearly doubled in 20 years. That's about right, I guess. Um, okay, so uh, the Good Gear Guide, that's what it was called in this. And the first thing <laughs> straight away stands out, a section called, it's a bit like what I've just done there, tried and tested. And what I like about this is that they've chosen a bunch of chaps. There's a couple of guys from different angling clubs. There's the uh, couple of reporters but yeah, a nice mixture of abilities, I would say, and, and, and you know, non-bias, if that makes sense. But straight away, the first thing that's tested, the Daiwa Porky Pig 13-foot extra power quiver. Who remembers that? What an iconic rod. But at the time, um, it came with just one quiver tip, which was four ounce, so a beefy piece of kit. Uh, and it was £115. I imagine that that rod, even now 20 years later, can still do a job fishing for barbel, chub, big chucks on reservoirs as well. So <laughs> that one really stood out straight away. And I like the fact that this was actually tested by a guy called Dean Bradshaw, and he's from the JCB Angling Club. So I quite like that, the fact that they've got readers uh, reviewing. And I know they do that in some of the other magazines as well, but 
yeah okay into the new gear guide at the time uh who was releasing what well van der Nind, they were releasing some aquacolor dye so if you wanted to dye i don't know i guess your pellets perhaps um bread things like that uh, yellow black and red were the colors two pound fifty at the time shimano had released a budget pole an all-round pole that won't break the bank 12 and a half meters weighing in at just over a thousand grams with two power top two kits it was a shimano technium competition available for only 270 pound shimano sahara there we go i've just literally spoke about the new version um which was in improve your course fishing so this was out 20 years ago i knew it had been around a while but didn't know it was that much uh, 20 years plus so this is a shimano sahara 3000 gte now that was 65 pound then if i'm not mistaken i've just explained that the new one is 75 so that hasn't increased too much over the past 20 years um we've got some Preston Diatex 60 meter pole. That's another review tested by one of the readers. I don't remember that pole, I must admit. Uh, Drennan Polemaster Floral Carbon Hook Length. I still use that now. £3.95 a spool. That's a great line. Uh, probably what the latest versions of Drennan's fluorocarbon was, was based off of. Now, if I have a little flick through and find uh, perhaps one of the bigger tackle shops and find some prices i'll find the first one with the, the largest advert all seasons angling wigston leicester there we go uh don't know whether those guys are still going or not but this gives you a bit of an idea what have they got on offer they've got Daiwa poles the tournament 410 uh no price rrp 3900 Daiwa rods connoisseur z 13 foot waggler rrp 220 selling for 160 drennan drx rods that doesn't ring a bell. DRX range, not sure. Um, 13 foot carp waggler, 120 pound. Keep nets, key nets conserver nets, 30 pound. Remember them key nets? They were massive in the uh, in the net sphere. Uh, what else have we got? Right at the back, Fosters of Birmingham. Crikey. I used to go there regularly when I was working in Birmingham. Of course, now part of the, the world of Angling Direct. Uh, but what did they have on offer back in 2002? Well, they had Matchbox. Now, sadly, Matchbox, and I could have mentioned this in the news section, for those lovers of that brand, um, which was reinvigorated by Jim Burton, and, and I think he sold that to a company down south. Sadly, they folded. So Matchboxes that have been around for, for a long, long time, 20 years plus, uh, are now no longer available. I saw that they had folded and are out of business, which is a very sad uh, thing. But at the time, the new Matchbox, uh, there are two versions out, the Gold and the Team. Gold was £410 and the Team was £400. Milo Tardis, I remember them as well. They were a very popular Conti-style seat box. Uh, three draw, £225. Uh, Kylie, do you remember them? Kylie Canal Box. A six-draw version was £240. Three-draw, £207.99. So looking at that, there is no question that seat boxes have certainly gone up in price. And, well, obviously with the, the Reeve, was benchmarking prices around £1,000. And, uh, yeah, even your, your bog-standard seat boxes are, are getting on for a few hundred quid. Uh, what else do we have from Fosters of Birmingham? Garbolino Poles, here we go. Ah, yeah, they had funny names. Exorcist, 13 metres, 945 grams, two power kits, one light top three kit, and a pole hold all. 
one of the best poles we've ever seen for the price, £399. Uh, map Match Tech, 16 metre pole, £1,169. Maver, Grim Reaper, I remember them. Um, one of Maver's best selling poles, rated to 20 elastic with one top three kit, half metre extension, pole bag, £210. They, those were those early bagging poles, if you want to use that term. Probably puller kits were only just about coming around then as well. It used to be, you'd have uh, 14 metres of pole waggling in the air with uh, a lot of elastic trying to land a fish. Happy days. So yeah, uh, that's what you got for your money back then in 2002. Well, that's it for episode two of series three. And on the next episode, we're going to have Adam Richards from Frenzy. So any questions you'd like me to put to Adam, give us a shout. Drop me an email at eastwardangling at gmail.com. Um, listen, as always, a big, big thank you for listening and sharing and subscribing and all the things that you do to spread the word of this podcast. As I've said many, many times, if there's nobody listening, there's no point in me doing these. But the list, the figures are buoyant. So we will continue and uh, try and capture these big names and uh, keep posing your questions and having these chats. And hopefully you find the other sections interesting um, as well. Uh, one great thing that came out of this podcast, a uh, uh, chap dropped me a message. He recognized my name and said, did you fish a match? Oh, way, way back, 1996, uh, a junior competition. I said, yeah, that's right. And uh, it turns out that I'd won this junior match. He'd come second. And uh, he sent me a picture of the clipping out the paper. And I'd never seen that before. So little things like that, which bring back memories and uh yeah, it was good to chat to the guy uh, and bring back some memories of fishing. It was a place called Rhodes Lodges in Manchester all those years ago. So thanks for listening. And I look forward to putting together episode three of series three.